0: It's August 8th and Sakaris and Price speaking to you from the Wall Center downtown. Our fabulous studios here. Don't forget about the Western Wall Center at YVR though. The fabulous dining at the apron, so fresh. And ready to treat you well before you leave town or get back into it. Check it all out at the Weston Wall Centre at YVR. Jeff Patterson in for the vacationing. Matt Sikaris here on Sikaris & Price. Uh, Welcome, Jeff. Happy BC Day long weekend. Hope you had a good one.
1: I did. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, Sikaris having a long, long weekend. Yes. Uh, He will be back, but happy to be here. And uh, actually turned out to be a fairly busy weekend in the world of sports. Sometimes the August long can, you know, kind of... Tension is uh, shifted in different directions, but uh, a fair bunch of bunch of things going on. So we'll
0: chew on it throughout the course yeah. of today's show. It's all a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group, who proudly have one of the most unique dealerships you'll find in the Applewood Performance Center. We're talking new and premium used vehicles that honestly you're just not going to find anywhere else. It is a lot of fun to walk around. So if you if you want something unique, something that's different than the driveway next to you at home. Go check it out at the Applewood Performance Center. Uh, and there's people there that are so passionate about what they do. Knowledge is one thing, but they have the passion. Applewoodperformancecenter.com. Our uh, Bowdog poll question for today Who's more likely to play? Who's uh, likely to play at more games for the Canucks this season? Ethan Bear or Tanner Pearson? Uh, log on to Twitter. X, whatever you prefer to call it, <laughs> cast your vote. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, lots of ways to argue it. Uh, Bodog line of the day for me. Uh, going to the ATP event in Toronto, of course. Uh, and looking at the options there S- uh, Stefano Sissi Pass versus Gaël Monfi. Two uh favorite names here on the Scarison Price show. Uh, go with the upset, Monfi over Sissy pass plus Monsieur. 275 gives you some value there for uh, a battle of notable names uh, in Toronto um our, our bodog before we get to today's bodog question let's uh, let's recap what finished up yesterday would you have preferred if the Canucks had signed Matt Dumba to one year 3.9 million over Carson Soucy or Ian Cole a Yes or no poll question there. What do you think? Uh, and we also had no as a vote, just a outright no, or, or over Susie or over Cole. What do you think won the vote there?
1: I think recency bias is going to say that no, that people are content. I don't know if they're happy, but I'm going to say they're content with what the Canucks did on July the
0: 1st. And and you're right. That won handily. And I'm a little bit surprised that yes didn't get more votes. Um, but I, I guess people have been tracking sort of the degradation in Matt Dumba game a little bit. Uh, yes just got 22.5%. No, 54.8%. Uh, and some are getting picky here, saying, okay, over Cole, 13.6, and over Susie, 9.1. So you're right. I think people are uh, are pretty content with uh, what I think
1: it's a parallel universe thing, because yeah. when they signed Susie and Cole on July 1st, Matt Dumbo wasn't going to take a one-year $3.9 million deal. I think right. he thought that he was going to be able to cash in, and so the Canucks did what they had to do. And, look, we've talked about this, but they were strategic. These guys may not be perfect players— But for a team that had the worst penalty kill in the National Hockey League, these were targets that the Canucks had their eye on to come in and help in that specific area. Not that Matt Dumbick couldn't kill penalties, but Carson Soucy and Ian Cole have both done it. They have a track record of doing it. And I don't mind the Soucy deal. Again, there's a question of can he level up? Can he take on more responsibility than he's had in either Seattle or or Minnesota, but I think it was a, it was a, bet, a bet worth making for the Canucks. And Ian Cole, one-year deal, uh, you know, familiarity with Rick Tocchet, a track record of success in Pittsburgh and the Stanley Cups, and all those types of things. I, I think those are both pretty decent fits for the Vancouver Canucks, and I do think there are some questions about where Matt Dumba's game is. But I will say this: for the Arizona Coyotes, one year, I mean, low risk, under four million bucks, and you look at the Coyotes' right side. On paper, it's Matt Dumba, it's Sean Dursey, who they got from L.A. for a second-round pick, and Troy Stetcher, I it's not the
0: worst right side in the National no. Hockey League, not by a long shot. So, I, um, I mean, are the Arizona Coyotes going to be okay this year? I don't see them in the playoffs, but are they going to be like an 85-point uh, team, maybe? I look at their roster and the fact that they
1: got Luke, Logan Cooley to turn pro, and now he's going to be a raw rookie, but a ton of upside there. Uh, Clayton Keller, you know, low-key, the superstar that sort of nobody talks about. I, yes, I, I think I would agree with your assessment there that, you know, after so many years, of are just spinning their wheels and trying to survive. Like, it looks like if things come together for the Coyotes, yeah, I don't know what top end is for them. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I also don't think they're in the conversation of being the worst team in the National Hockey League. Like, I don't think they're a team that's going to be built to have uh, their designs on getting that first overall draft pick next year.
0: Uh, we'll see what you know. Victor Soderstroms looks yep. like this year. Like they're, they're they're pretty young. They don't have a lot of old guys. I I think more than them backing into a decent record though. Like it almost looks like they're intentionally trying to be good, which is which is in itself uh, a little bit surprising. Um, I mean, I think at three point nine, the Canucks getting Matt Dunbar at three point nine. I that in a vacuum. I think I would have been fine with, but you're right. How did, how would they have arrived at that point? Um, would have been a difficult thing to chart uh, a different, a difficult course to chart, but, but that is a pretty fair deal. Um, and Matt Dumas is going to be on a show me deal of all the guys that have been on these one year show me deals. That that's one of the more reasonable ones.
1: Yeah. And I think too, you know, the coyotes are signing him to trade him. Like, yeah. I don't think he's going to finish the season and play out his contract in Arizona. So Nice trade chip at an affordable price for them, but he can come in and give them 60 games up until the trade deadline, and then he would be an attractive trade chip, you would think, for a team that's looking, That we know right-side guys are a commodity. This guy has a a track record in the National Hockey League, and then, of course, the cap expected to go up substantially, and so he's put himself in a position. You know, he didn't lock himself into anything. If he has the kind of year that he hopes he can, and I I imagine he'll play a lot in Arizona, uh, you know, then he can cash in with a longer ticket and... You know, some term and some hopefully higher dollars for him Mm -hmm. uh, a year from now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to wind up in Arizona, but now that he has, like, you know, yeah, I I, I don't know that the Coyotes are necessarily going to be a laughingstock team. I I don't, again, I don't expect them to be a playoff team, but they've got some pieces there uh, that maybe after all these years in the desert uh, can get a little bit of traction in the standings,
2: you look at their roster the last few years and you're asking yourself, Who is this guy? and you're having to Google these guys. Well, now they add Kerfoot, they got Zucker. Like, they're not going to be a basement dweller, they're still probably years away and they're kind of in that transitional phase. Um, just the thing on Dumba, though, uh, guys, reminds me of Klingberg last year. He had to take that one year deal in Anaheim, so that was he for ended a up big signing, number, though
0: big cap number, yes, That's big seven million. Yeah.
2: But he ends up t- signing another one-year deal, for just over four million in Toronto. So there is that risk there. And Maybe, sure. you know, Dumba turns into those shorter-term guys. But I still still think he has a bit of game left. Point totals weren't there last year. Um, but yeah, that's a it's kind of a bit of an intriguing team down in the desert this yeah, year. It is
0: uh, the other big news from the weekend: uh, the first trade in a month, basically with uh, a couple of trades, if you will, or you know, some semblance of a three-way trade, although Montreal only gets assets from uh, Pittsburgh in particular. But Montreal, Pittsburgh, and San Jose combined in a bit of a confusing trade, but one that sees Eric Carlson ultimately uh, end up in Pittsburgh with very little retained uh, by San Jose uh, with $1.5 million being retained. Uh, so they're taking on $10 million of the hit for Eric Carlson over the remaining uh, few years of the deal here. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that I can see a perfect winner in this trade, um, but everybody thinks that they've probably addressed something here in this schlamozzle of a deal.
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I don't think taking on a 33-year-old guy who's making $11 million bucks, even though San Jose retained a, a chunk Uh, Makes sense for many teams, but for the Pittsburgh Penguins, you're coming to the end of one of the great eras in recent National Hockey League history, and that is Sidney Crosby, who turned 36 over the weekend. So Sid is now a 36-year-old kid. Um, Evgeny Malkin and and Chris Letang. I mean, they're big three. And uh, look, we saw this here five, six, seven years ago in Vancouver, where the Canucks opted not to give the Sedins some help at the end of their career. The Penguins are going all in with Eric Carlson and his 101 points last year uh, in San Jose. So I think some people forget Sidney Crosby had 93 points last year for the Penguins. Like we rave about Elias Pedersen and his 102 points here, Mm. and it was incredible. Sid at 35 had a 93-point season in Pittsburgh. So he's still dealing, and now you add, uh, certainly on the power play, I mean the ingredients are there for the Penguins to be pretty damn potent on the power play, uh, I'm curious to see, you know, again, does it make sense long-term? Is it going to set the Penguins back over the long haul? Probably. But, man, what if they can squeeze out one more miraculous playoff run or even a couple? Uh, it puts a ton of pressure on Tristan Jarry to stay healthy, uh, and that's been an issue for him, and goaltending has been a bit of a, a problem for the Penguins the last couple of seasons. But Jarry has a proven track record. The guy certainly can perform Uh, you know, at a level that should allow the Penguins to get close to the playoffs. We know last year they fell just short. So uh, it's a roll of the dice. Like, I'm not sure that it is a Kyle Dubas kind of trade, but I think this is the roster that he inherited, and he realized that, you know, he's got to insulate Sid and and Malkin and give these guys every opportunity to take one last kick of the can. So it's interesting. Uh, And as you said, like, for uh, San Jose, I suppose the big piece coming back is – you know, they get a first-round pick. It's lottery protected. But uh, underwhelming return, but I guess that was to be expected just at the the price point. I mean, the, their win is getting off $10 bucks of Eric Carlson for the, the next four seasons. But it wasn't that long ago, Blake, that the San Jose Sharks had Brent Burns and Eric Carlson on defense, and they traded them both away, and they really don't have an awful lot to show for, you know, two of the best offensive defensemen. Uh, of their generation, but that's sort of the salary cap era we work in, and sometimes it's just moving off contracts as opposed to what you get in return. And the Montreal Canadiens pick up some pieces, including goaltending insurance in in Casey to Smith. So yeah, I mean, lots of moving parts to that deal, but ultimately going to be wild to see Eric Carlson back in the East, a hundred points running that power play, and you know it'll take some of the workload off a guy like Chris Letang, and we know that you know he's had some significant health injuries, but when he is healthy. You know, he too is still, you know, I, I think, even at the stage of his career, fairly dynamic guy. Like he can still produce for the Penguins. So, uh, what does that look like with Carlson and Latang, uh, you know, in their top four? But, we uh,
0: we were thinking that this might lubricate the wheels for something else. Yeah, uh, there's been nothing in the remaining few days since it all went down. But um, I mean, with a, a long weekend across Canada, which is where a lot of the uh, general managers might be summering. Maybe there's a sense that there was a bit of a slowdown. We'll see if this week produces anything. Do you have any confidence in that, or do you think this was a standalone? No.
1: I think yes. It was the Penguins had been kicking tires long enough, yep. and I think they finally found the necessary pieces to make the deal and just wanted to get it done. And I think most GMs will go back into hiding. Although we saw like the Tom Wilson contract at the start of the long weekend, so there's been a little bit of NHL news. You know, just to bring the Eric Carlson deal closer to home here. Uh in the aftermath on a long weekend, the wheels in my mind were churning a little bit, and I thought, like, how does this impact the Canucks? And obviously people were drawing the Tyler Myers connections mm-hmm. and the Sharks. But it got me thinking, too, now that Eric Carlson takes his Norris trophy to Pittsburgh, you know, is Quinn Hughes the automatic answer to best defenseman in the Pacific Division? And I think most people in Vancouver would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 76 points last year. Uh, we know that uh, you know, he had a much better defensive season than he had the year before. I think if you ask the Vancouver audience, is Quinn Hughes the best defenseman in the Pacific Division? Yeah, overwhelming yes. I think if you broaden it out, though, like we know that Quinn Hughes still doesn't get the respect league wide. I mean, ninth in Norris Trophy balloting, people still question whether he can defend. And so, if you ask the question in the division or league-wide, I don't know that people would necessarily say, hands down, Quinn Hughes is the best defenseman in the Pacific Division. I would say he is. But, you know, Alex Petrangelo, two Stanley Cups now, coming off a cup in Vegas, big stud, like legit right shot number one guy. He's 33 years of age. So is Drew Doughty. I mean, they're both more decorated over their careers, but they're also on the back nine of their careers. So... You know, I think those two guys would probably be the competition for Quinn Hughes if you were trying to come up with an answer of who else. Um, Rasmus Anderson had a nice season in Calgary. Mackenzie Wigger there. You know, I don't think Darnell Nurse is in Nor Evan Quinn Hughes' – No, not, not, yeah, not so. the
0: round game that, that uh, Quinn Hughes has. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a world in which – Jamie Drysdale finds his game eventually, but it's not going to be this yep. coming year, you know. So, um you
1: know, Vince Vince Dunn might have been, like the year that he had in Seattle and got himself a huge ticket because of it, but again, he's not at Quinn Hughes' level offensively, um, and that's the thing. Like I, I, again, I I would say Quinn Hughes is, mm-hmm. but I still think there are many out there that are going to hold that one season when he was minus twenty four or whatever, and you know, a guy can't defend, couldn't defend then. You know, he can't defend at his size. And we know that that's just not the case. That his best defense is spending most of his shifts in the offensive zone far away from his net. And the fact that the Canucks outscored their opponents by 20 at even strength when he was on the ice, his superpower is tilting the ice in the Canucks' favor. And so by doing that, you are defending because you're keeping the puck as far away from your own net as possible.
0: Sounds like a potential Bodog pull question coming (laughs) down the line. Uh, Yeah, it could be. Could be. Um, uh, More Canucks news of sorts in that, uh, that JT Miller fellow appeared on another podcast, uh, the Cam and Strick podcast, St. Louis based. And, um, it was, uh, he, he was, it was a good interview. He was, he was, he was himself. I mean, he, yep. he didn't hold back. I don't know that uh, a diehard Canuck fan learned anything because we've heard him speak a lot. Um, but he sort of, you know, just doubled down on his personality. Like, just in case you thought, you know, he was misunderstood here in the market, he's not, Jeff. Like, he is he is what we think he is. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it, he's a noisy personality in more ways than one. I, I mean that literally and figuratively. Uh, like, he tried to, uh, on the podcast, explain away some of the uh, notorious or infamous incidents of the of the past year, the the poor back check, the yelling about Colin Delia, and his explanations, I think, are exactly what happened. I think I don't think he was lying about it, but his explanations also like don't exactly exonerate what people have an issue with is, and, and that is you don't necessarily have to have a vociferous, you know, massive emotional response to all of these things, and he just does. Uh, so he explained them, and again, I, I, I don't know that it makes any of them worse. It's just, it's confirmation more than anything is the way I took it.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was great off-season listening. Now, you remember he did uh, John Scott's podcast last summer, so he's not familiar, he's no stranger to sort of going on these, accepting these requests or offers, and, and going on, and, and look, he's a straight shooter. We know that. He's a little rough around the edges, and that's who he is. I mean, a lot of this pod, he spends time talking about his upbringing in East Palestine, Ohio mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, coming from pretty modest roots to become a, you know, a frontline guy in the national hockey league. And he doesn't shy away from talking about the, the money that he's made and what he's done with it and gets into his hunting and, uh, his passion for it. Like I learned a little bit more about JT Miller, the person, I didn't know all of the backstory. Uh, so I thought that part was interesting. His time in, in Vancouver and last season, I laughed when he said I could write a book. You should, that'd be great. You could write a book about last season but you know, the one answer that really resonated with me was when he talked about uh, the frustration of the fan base, and I love the fact that he recognized yes. that it has been this dark decade that totally preceded him. Like he doesn't have to answer for what happened in 2012 and 2014 and 15. He is, show- you know, he arrived on the scene on draft day of 2019, and he said, "Like I want to win here because I know how much like this losing has eaten away at this fan base." I wanted to hear Jim Rutherford or Patrick Helveen sort of recognize that, that they inherited this, that they're not responsible for it, but you know they may have only been here for two years, but the angst has been here for 50 years of losing and I thought JT Miller sort of encapsulated that better than anybody in this new management regime has, and so he recognizes that people are angry and they have every right to be, because this team has been shitty for far too long now, but he also in the same breath said, like, that's why I want to win here because he knows what it's going to mean to the fans of Vancouver. Well, he said
0: that negative emotion will flip to positive emotion the minute we start winning, yeah. and and he's not wrong. I mean, we have seen that up yep. close and personal. We this, It's a pretty fun market to be in when the team is winning and everybody believes in it. So um, that's the dangling carrot, so you can go check that out and uh, see what you think about JT Miller. It does address the golfing a little bit. Um, yep.
1: Not playing as much. No. No. It happens.
0: You know what I know it. Kids come along, he's got three of them
1: now. Yep. So uh, that eats into it. And he just said that, uh, yeah, not playing as much as he, he did earlier in his career. I love the one line too, when they were talking about uh, uh, his life in New York and living in New York. And, and they asked him, like, you know, who ran the show in that Rangers locker room. And he said, uh, Henrik Lundqvist showed up to practice in a suit every day. <laughs> And then he explains like, well, he, all of his business opportunities. He said he usually had meetings to go to right after, but he, he laughed. He's like, Henrik Lundqvist showed up at practice in a suit every day.
0: Imagine that. Can we <laughs> wear track pants? Or uh... Uh, Speaking of golf, uh, big one on the weekend. I don't think I have ever sought out uh, corn fairy coverage uh, on the golf <laughs> channel. I did because I saw that Roger Sloan... Was near the top and making some noise, unlike Adam Fenson on the PGA side of things, who seemed kind of mired to be where he was, somewhere sixth to twelfth, and that is where he finished. Um, Roger Sloan was was making a move, had a, had a a spike to start the back nine, and I thought, oh, he might run away with this, but then a couple of bogeys, and all of a sudden he's trailing again, and then he finished strong and. Uh, that was really fun to see uh, a guy who, uh, hey, Merritt claims him, Calgary claims him as well, but uh, uh, we'll go with Merritt's Roger Sloan. Yep. Uh, getting inside the top 30, if he can stay there for, I think, what they've, they're in the the final throws of their tour, uh, he'll get a conditional uh, tour card for next season. Will Roger Sloan if he can stay in that top 30? So big, big win for him. 180 grand is nothing to sneeze at. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, it, I mean, the Air Canada Championship when Mike Weir won, I would guess that was the same prize, uh, 180 grand for Mike Weir to win a, a PGA Championship. Um, so uh, that's that's a nice feather in the cap for Roger Sloan, and, and he did it in style, didn't he? Yeah, finished
1: with two birdies and hit it to, what, two or three feet on 18 and basically a tap-in. But when you're playing for a title, there's no such thing as a tap-in. I mean, you had to uh, make sure that uh, you didn't mess up. He made the putt. And so, yeah, good for him. I I didn't realize it had been nine years since he had won on that tour. And this is a guy that has punched his ticket to the PGA Tour and sort of shuttled back and forth. But, you know. Three kids. It was kind of cool to see the whole family there in Utah run out on the green and uh, and celebrate with him. And so, uh, yeah, let's hope. I think it moved him to 27th yeah. on the Corn Ferry standings. So, as you said, there's still a few weeks to go. Not Holman cooled out, but hopefully this is a sign that his game is rounding into form at the right time of the season. A couple more good events and, you know, he can secure his spot Uh, On the PGA Tour for next year, and the PGA Tour going to the playoffs, it's only three events this year. It starts this week in Memphis. Five Canadians among the 70 guys that are teeing it up, and they've cut it now. It's 70. used to be 125. Now it's uh, the top 70 make it to the playoffs, but five of them are Canadians and three from British Columbia with Hadwin Svensson and, of course, Nick Taylor after his win in uh, at the RBC earlier this year. So uh, BC well-represented, Canadians as a whole, taking up five of the 70 spots at uh, the St. Jude Classic. Uh,
0: rewinding our weekend all the way back to Friday, um, I know only uh, 13,000 and change uh, were able to uh, get to BC Play Stadium There was only three days to sell this event, and it's too bad that there wasn't more there because the Whitecaps uh, in the round of 32 of the League's Cup tournament uh, took on the best team year after year basically over the last dozen years in Liga and in uh, Tigris, and it was a scintillating affair. Back and forth they went. Open play, two amazing goals in a 1-1 draw that eventually went to penalties where the Whitecaps lost with more shenanigans in the penalty kicks with the exuberant <laughs> Brazilian goalkeeper that was miming and pulling ribbons out of his throat to distract the, the shooters. I mean, the the, 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 the the game had everything, folks. So if you were there or you watched it, um, it was a lot of fun, but the Caps go down, so they don't play for a couple more weeks back on August 20th at... Uh, at BC Play Stadium to resume the regular season. And they'll have Richie Larea and Sam Atacube um, health permitting in for those matches. They, of course, were not able to get the newcomers in uh, against the Mexican side. But it was a lot of fun, and and we've seen a lot of fun matches. It's loose. Like, League's Cup hasn't got to the point where it's Champions League and everybody's grinding out every minute. But as that match progressed, Jeff, I did feel tension in the air. The final 20 minutes, you could tell there was something up for grabs.
1: Well, you tell me, because you're a lot closer to it than I am. I mean, I I watch casually and and watch most Whitecaps games. I love how they have stormed out of the gate so often here recently and take the play and are rewarded for it. And again, I think this was the first 10-minute goal, uh, the Pedro Vite goal the other night. So their starts have been spectacular. And you get in front, obviously that allows you to dictate and forces your opponents to have to adjust and perhaps make some changes. But I just like the fact that... uh, uh, this seems to be sort of the the strategy under Vanny is just to you know take the play early to their opponents. Had some
0: last last minute ones too. They don't score much in the middle of the yep. match. They score early to keep, <laughs> to make sure that you're in your seat early. And they score late for the dramatic effect. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a fun uh, fun season so far in that regard. Uh, let's hope they can put some more butts in seats. The Lions will try to do that on Saturday. BC Place hosting the Stamps. Chance to lick their wounds from last week and the pounding they took in the hands of the Bombers. If they beat the Stamps, though, I mean, it's just they get that much closer to really just making it about them and the, and the Bombers, which uh, would would make for a lot of drama on the out-of-town scoreboard the rest of the season as well. We have tickets up for grabs for that one, by the way. So listen up here. seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eighty 402 9680 into the Great Clips text message. Inbox. Hashtag it. Hashtag Lions to get into the draw. That's hashtag Lions to get into the draw at seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eighty, 402 9680 A pair of tickets, food and beverage credit, and a gift card for the team store as well. So you will be fed and dressed to the nines to watch the Lions host the Stampeders on Saturday at BC Place Stadium. Uh, As for the C's, they're back this week uh, starting today, taking on Tri-City. And uh, John Gibbons is at Nat Bailey Stadium. Yeah, baby. Uh, So if you hear this in time, uh, go check it out. If not, sorry, you missed it. Uh, But every game this week is a special night. It's a theme night every night this week. It's a lot of fun at Nat Bailey Stadium. So get your tickets at canadiansbaseball.com. Here's the rest of today's menu brought to you by BC's Best Breakfast at the Dutch and after an indulgent weekend for all of us, you don't feel like making anything the rest of the the week, probably. For breakfast, for lunch, <laughs> for brunch. So let them do it. It's an inexpensive way to go out and have a meal. Go to dedutch.com. Find the closest one nearest you, whether it's a sweet or savory pan of cooking. Eh, check it out at dedutch.com. Uh, we've got hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, of course. But uh, that's sandwiched on either side by some fabulous guests. Jeff, we were able to wrangle the one and only Rick Dollywall in the middle of summer vacation. Yeah, where where did we find him? Uh, We pulled him off the golf course, off of free (laughs) golf. Uh, More on that in a second with him. Um, And uh, we get the load on just a a check of the pulse with the Canucks in terms of the business to do. And... um, and some interesting stuff here from Rick Dollywall uh, that we can chew on over the next couple of days for sure. In fact, we'll chew on it a little bit with our second guest, Patrick Johnson of the province, fresh off of a little trip over the weekend as well. So we'll get into the ins and outs of uh, of what uh, Rick's reporting tells us the rest of the uh, the summer. Well, Do- Dolly's, Dolly's off TV yeah. for yeah. a couple of months, but the phone
1: never, is never, never far, far away from no. his his thumbs so he's still working the phones plus
0: as we talk about with patrick yeah. you know the the Dumba signing the and more importantly the um the carlson trade there's some ramifications there's some possible trickle down effects we'll get into that with uh with pj as well that followed by our errors and omissions as well and don't forget any feedback throughout the course of the day uh you give it to us at seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eighty 9680 into the great clips text message inbox great clips the official hair salon of the national hockey league greatclips.com to find the salon nearest you no matter what you're buying folks when you're out in the world looking for this that and the other i think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting you can feel good about supporting the applewood auto group uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at Applewood.ca
3: Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits and the weather's getting a little cooler but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer that summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Ombre Margarita
0: Hi there, hard lemon iced tea and hi there, our peach iced tea will
3: keep you feeling tropical all year long End of the workday, treat yourself to a yellow dog neighborhood or workshop spirit.
0: So Harrison Price from A Wall Center brought to you by Applewood Kia. Applewood Kia wants to get you into the electric frame of mine, the electric revolution. And they want you to know that you can do it. You can afford it. Can you imagine getting behind the wheel of the Kia Nero EV for 44 dollars and saying goodbye to gas pumps forever? Get one for 6.49% financing for up to 84 months, even fully loaded at 529. You can do this, folks, at Applewood Kia.
2: I'm Neo Citroned out, so I'm really dozy. I could go to sleep right now. I, I, if I fell over, I'm done. I'm gone. Yeah, Touching. that's it. I've been pounding that like hell. All right, a
0: little summer bonus Dolly today, folks. We've been telling you Rick Dollywell's going to join us, and he finally does here on Sakaris and Price featuring Jeff Patterson. Rick, how's August treating you, sir?
2: Uh, so far so good, gentlemen. Lots of golf, not with you guys, uh, Tater and I were out yesterday out in Surrey uh, golfing. Uh, but you know with Tater, he's not golfing unless it's free golf. Oh,
0: no,
2: yeah, yeah. So when we get free golf, because in the media, there is – you know, I'm going to take you back to 1996 where Rodgers opened up. And remember the meals at the Canucks games oh, were free? yeah. Oh, and we were loving it. Like it was just you come in an hour early. Get a free meal. And then a few a few years later, they started to make you pay, and you're like, what? What? <laughs> the cheapest human beings on earth are media guys. We're always looking for free stuff. Free stuff. Yeah, was it, and if you get stuff, we're in. I think it was an $8
0: meal to start, and we still uh, griped yeah. about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stop
2: going. You know, I, I, was, I stopped 14
0: going. at
1: least it was last year.
0: So $14. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, before we get going on the regularly scheduled topics, we've been uh, – we batted around a little bit. Uh, JT Miller's appearance on uh, a uh, yep. Cam and Strick podcast. Any, anything jump out at you there from what what he said? It, it just seemed like a really good personality synopsis for us. Um, but that's that's kind of it. What did you take out of it?
2: I'll tell you. I, I like JT Miller a lot. I think he's an honest player. He's got a lot of Kessler in him. You know, he's going to tell you what you what he's thinking. He doesn't have to like you. He doesn't want to like you. He said, uh, you know, when he was asked about the media today, he said, I can't stand some of those guys in the Vancouver media. But I'm going to say this, and I I, I will say this about the last 11 years in this city have been tough. It's been tough on the media. It's been tough on the players. There's been a lot of losing. You know, someone said to me the other day, when you couple the losing with the intense media, Canadian market, uh, social media – the intensity of the combination of the losing and social media and and the media itself is a double whammy. Vancouver is not for everybody. I I go back to, you guys remember when Pouliot and Branson and all those guys were here. and A lot of those guys, I'm going to tell you, they couldn't wait to get out of Vancouver. I mean, it's just the intensity of the losing and the negativity. Uh, The the best marketing tool in the world, guys, is winning. Mm -hmm. And, Sadly, for JT Miller and a lot of the players in this city, there hasn't been a lot of winning lately. And, you know, and with the winning coupled up with the negativity, and, you know, Canuck's Twitter could be a a very negative space sometimes. And the players are, look at Bo Horvat, he reacted to a guy on Twitter. Um, You know, it's hard. We as human beings are built for what? To get a pat on the back. Nobody likes to hear your crap and your, you know, this or that, but. Sadly, this social media gives everyone a voice. You know, I go back to the 1980s, uh, Blake and Jeff, when the Canucks were so awful. And I don't remember the negativity. But now everyone's got cell phones. Everyone's got a voice. Everyone gets to make an opinion on something, on us, the team, the players. It's a whole different world we're living in. And I go back to those Canuck years. And before, you know, Arthur got Pat Quinn uh, from L.A. and turned it around, there were some awful years, just awful. There was 8,000, 7,000. I remember going to see the Quebec Nordiques and there was 8,000 people in the building. It was, but we never, I don't remember the negativity back then mm-hmm. with the losing that you mm-hmm. see it's, it now it's, because it's a different world we live in. So back to JT Miller, I, I, I love his honesty. We always bitch and whine about hockey players. They don't say anything. Well, this guy says something and it's always not going to be what you like, but too bad. This guy's honest. He, he tells you what's on his. Uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. I don't mind him. I, I don't mind him at all when he talks.
0: Social media is a big part of it. I'll also give you Griffiths family versus Aquilini family for a thousand, Alex. Yeah. And there's another reason why the tone is different in in around Vancouver.
2: Yeah. Well, eleven years. Hold on. Let me tell you something else. I was uh, I was at a party last night. It <coughs> uh, was still hurting. But listen, I ran into a. I still ran. I ran into a 26-year uh, season ticket holder last night. Mm-hmm. And he's frustrated, you know. He's, he's he asked. You know, Don Taylor says this all the time. You know, we're not on this earth forever. Uh, I want to see a Stanley Cup in Vancouver. <laughs> you know, be, and this guy said the same thing that Don says. He says, you know, I've been a season ticket holder. I'm going to go back. They really thought about, seriously thought about not renewing, but they're going to go back. And he said, you know what? Uh, I want to see a Stanley Cup. Um, uh, 82, that was the team. That's my team, the 82 team. That's my favorite team of all time. But anyways, he was there in 94 and he was there in 211. But I felt the frustration from this uh, 26-year season ticket holder uh, last night. Um, He was pouring his guts out. I mean, this is a great hockey market. This is a market that deserves better than what they've been served in the last 11 years. This is an intelligent fan base, but it's uh, we just don't know when this thing's going to turn around, and it's 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 turning around like the love boat very slowly. <laughs> and late
0: last night, you poured your guts out last, uh, as well, didn't you?
2: I well, <laughs> not not literally, but uh, yeah, the crowd was going down nice last night. But I listen to to hear a season ticket holder, and you know the prices today, but yeah. they're not cheap. Nope. You know, I I remember. Go to the Coliseum in 82 with $10, ticket was $7, uh, the bus fare, and, and the popcorn. I got everything in the 10 bucks. What, what do you get for 10 bucks at a hockey game now? Nothing. napkin. Not even a walk. Yeah. You know, so I felt this guy last night, 26 years, I felt it. You know, in the last, he's pissed. He's mad. He wasn't going to renew, but he did renew, and he says, I'm going to give it one more shot.
1: So if they're going to get this thing headed in the right direction, Elias is going to be a huge part of it. Ricky, what's going on? It seems awfully quiet out there. We saw Sebastian Ajo get his deal done. Uh, it's only the first week of August. I get that. But are the two sides, or is there any chatter going on behind the scenes?
2: Well, I checked in on Petterson yesterday because I knew I was coming on with you guys. And I was told it's it's, it's very quiet. Uh, the only guy on this planet who thought something was going to happen quickly was Matt Sikaris. And... Uh, I, I don't see any urgency uh, as of right now from either side. And I'll tell you why. Um, and it's not surprising. I, I didn't think they were going to get a deal done in June or July or, no, sorry, in July or August. Um, the Canucks might be saying, hey, put up another 100 points and we'll gladly pay you. Uh, and also keep this in mind. You want Pedersen's new contract to kick in when the salary cap is increased significantly. You need it to go up a ton, and then he fits in nicely. His agents, Paterson and J.P. Berry, they're going to bet on their player and th- that he's going to get another 100 points. And then they will have a lot of time to evaluate Patterson as an RFA next summer as well under different circumstances. In 12 months, Patterson's stock could be sky high if he has another 100 points, mm-hmm. right? And so, but in the end, I don't see any issues with either side getting the deal done. My biggest fear with Pedersen is that he pulls the Kachuk or a Brinkcat or Luke Dubois. A lot of good players have left Canada recently, guys. Uh, and no elite player is going to stick around and lose year after year after year. One of the reasons they're elite players is one of the great traits of elite players is they hate to lose. And in your prime years, you don't want to spend your prime years out of the playoffs every year. You want to be going deep in the playoffs. So um, you know, let's uh, maybe there's a wait and see approach uh, from both sides. And and you know, but right now I can report to you guys, it's quiet, and I'm not surprised at all, at all. What is
0: quiet? So at- what 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 are they doing?
2: Well, oh, can I get one word sure. in? I, I forgot to get this in on Patterson. Um, I, I'm still worried. Uh, about an injury to, to Miller or Pedersen, like, say, four to six weeks, because they don't have a center in the bottom six that can deliver quality minutes in the top six as a center. They don't. When Horvat was here, the Canucks were so strong up the middle that they didn't have to worry about an injury in the top six. That's not a case anymore, guys. You know, and that's why I think they're still out there hunting to try to make a trade or send a free agent. They have told, the Canucks have told uh, agents to hold on uh, Till they can free up some cap space. The names out there we already know: Maxime Comtois, uh, a PS Suter. Uh, a Suter's agent told me he says I'm waiting for teams uh, uh, to clear cap space. Uh, we're in a capped out NHL, guys. We're, you know, there's a ton of teams that are fighting for every dollar. Every dollar, you know. Um, so Tyler Myers and Connor Garland. Uh, those are the two guys. The best way to clear up cap space, guys. Those names are always going to be in the rumor mill, let's be honest. Um, but it, you know what it reminds me of? The Canucks constantly trying to trade Erickson, Beagle, and Russell When it comes to Garland and Myers, same thing, same thing. And you guys, I don't have to tell you the price on Beagle and And, you know, I don't have to tell you what the cost was. It was immense. Mm-hmm. And with so many capped out teams in the NHL and the cap not moving up, teams are saying, hey – I'll take your bad contract, but you gotta put in a sweetener. And sadly for the Canucks, the last five five years, they've traded a ton of first and second round picks. Right. They're not in a position to put those in a sweetener.
1: And so they've got to be cap compliant on opening night and there are still some mechanisms in place. But I think a lot of people, Rick, think, oh, well, they'll just apply LTIR and that'll get them down to a number that'll allow them to, to be cap compliant. But Uh, Last we heard Tanner Pearson, I mean, the updates were positive from Patrick Alvine, the suggestion that he was going to show up on their doorstep at training camp as a player. And yet you think all that he went through last year and hasn't played a game since November. Uh, Have you heard anything here in the last little while about Tanner Pearson?
2: Yes, so I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, When the Canucks announced in early June uh, that Tanner Pearson was going to be ready for camp, I'm not going to lie to you, Uh, not everyone was buying it. Um, including myself, Darren Drager told you guys the same thing. I was hearing the same as Drager that, you know, Hey, hold on a second. Uh, but I checked uh, in on Pearson this week. Uh, he is now feeling good. He is now skating and working out and getting ready for camp. Uh, that's good news. I'll just leave it at this a month ago. I wasn't super, super hearing, you know, Oh, let's go camp. But I checked in on Pearson this week. I, I certainly feel more optimistic this week that, you know, he's heading in the right direction. So, but um, my thing with you guys on Pearson and McKay they, have, they were both not in the lineup in the last game of the regular season. So you got to make room for these two. So how do they fit in the roster? Here's the other thing. here's the other problem I got, guys. The Canucks have so many wingers and they got to make room for Pod Colson and Hoglander, too. They've got to become everyday NHL players. It, it they gotta stop being healthy scratches, stop going to the farm. It's time for Pod Colson and, and and Hoglander to take the next step. You know? But think about it. If you insert Pearson McCabe, Hoglander of Pod Colson opening night, who's going out? How how are you making room?
0: Yeah. Room cap wise, room just lineup wise as well, those are two well, two different issues.
2: I I do think that ta- uh, Tucker Pullman is your LTIR candidate. Last I heard on Tucker Pullman, um, you know, it's not looking good. And But he keeps continuing fight to fight the fight. He doesn't want to retire. I feel for the guy. Um, you know, he is a guy that has seen a million doctors and a, a million opinions and, and all that stuff. But that's, that to me is your LTIR That's not going to be enough though, they, Rick. They need more than that. I, but, yeah. but he, he not turning the corner in terms of positivity about his situation, mm-hmm. so I understand. Yeah. But at least that look—that's looking like your LTIR candidate. But I'm just saying to you guys: um, How are you going to get all these guys in the lineup? And they got an abundance of wingers. I mean, they got to do something, to do something. You know, and go. I, I, want to say, I want to say one thing about Myers. You know, whether you like him or not, um, he chews up a lot of minutes, and he's a righty. So how do you replace those minutes? I know everybody is just ho to get rid of the guy. I, I get it, you know, clear the cap space. But then just ask yourself. I don't know if you're getting anything back from Myers, but I'm just ask yourself, who gets those minutes? You know, and this is where I, I, I'm going to talk to you guys about Ethan Bear. Um, when I checked in on Bear this week, um, he's still looking to be out till around December. He could sign, I was told, an NHL contract in October or November um insurance is covering bear's contract till he is healthy um that makes it easier to for him and his agent to be patient is that the good thing and the best thing they did when he went to the worlds was get that insurance because he's covered he's covered so that helps uh, him and his agent um connects along with other teams have interest Uh, teams called bear's agent on july 1st looking for medical information i think there's going to be um, there's going to be interest in this guy. So um, that right side, if you, after Myers bonus, if you move them, can you bring bear back? And you know what? He's not going to cost much. You guys know that, you know, so maybe he can eat up some of those minutes, but Kyle bros is gone. So, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they do move uh, Myers or you can move Myers at the trade deadline, guys, you know, you could really do it. Then you'll have a better idea if you're in the playoffs or not. So, you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of options okay. there. Uh, sure.
0: Let me ask you both on this: Does Tanner Pearson yeah. become more tradable a more tradable winger than Garland, or I mean, anybody else on the wing? Bob Brock Besser? Did, did did at that price point well, and with the kind of the grit, the stiffness that Pearson plays with, is he your tradable winger?
2: Well, but hold it a second. Uh, I'm going to come back with you on this. He, his season was shut down January 12th. I think please teams please. are going to yeah. win. Yeah, Blake. Teams are going to want to see him mm-hmm. play. No one's no one's trading for that guy. No one's trading for him. You know, you you want to acquire a guy that hasn't played since January 12th and has had seven surgeries on his hand? You Granted,
0: know, it's not a that, knee injury, though, right? Not a back injury. It's not one of those critical but, spots, but I hear you. Yeah. I think like an,
1: an expiring contract – like, I get where you're coming from, Blake. An expiring contract at three and a quarter yeah. is manageable for a guy that has Stanley Cup, Pedigree, and all that kind of stuff, but – Everyone around the league is going to have to wait and see. Like nobody's trading for him now. Like he, he if he comes back successfully and shows that he can be some semblance of a fifteen to twenty goal scorer, win battles in the corner, and all that kind of stuff, then maybe, maybe there's a team that would look to add something like that. But right here, right now, uh, he's going to have to prove it, not just to the Canucks, but to the rest of the
2: National Hockey League. Not even, not even early in the year, Blake. He's got to play. He's got to produce. He's got to show. Hey, I, I, one thing about Tanner Pearson, I'll say, guys. Uh, when, when when Quinn Hughes went to bat for him, that told me a lot. Uh, when Travis Green was here, uh, he had nothing but respect for Pearson in the dressing room. He's a, he's a mature pro. He's He Does all the little things right. And I'm going to tell you, when when Quinn Hughes went to bat for him, that was significant for me. And you don't go to bat uh, for someone like that unless you you know he's a teammate that's loved in that dressing room. But uh, you you nailed it too, Blake. I mean, he's on the final year of his deal. And, but how do you get him in the lineup? How do you get him up to speed? There's a new coach. The last time Tanner Pearson left, there was an, another coach. Now he's got to fit in with Rick Tockett. So there's a whole lot of things at play when it comes to Tanner Pearson.
1: What do you think? Like We heard so much last year from management uh, about how disappointed they were in Training camp and ultimately the preseason and that sort of set the tone. And we both, Alvin and Rutherford, kind of threw darts at Bruce Boudreaux for his training camp. Uh,
3: yeah.
1: Rick Tockett kind of laid down the law for all of these players on their way out the door. Uh, how much whip cracking do you think there's going to be under a, a Rick Tockett training camp this time around?
2: Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm a, I'm a big uh, big fan of Tockett and what he's done in the short time he's got here. And he, he did two things that stuck up. He brought in Gonchar and Foot to teach. Just because you're at the NHL level doesn't mean you can't learn. You know, he, he, he got these guys and he said, teach them. And that was important for me. That was one. And two, he cracked the whip on conditioning. I'm going to tell you something right now. I, I am predicting. There is no question in my mind. This is going to be one of the most well-conditioned Canucks teams at training camp in years. I don't want to be the guy that shows up to that camp out of shape in Victoria. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, there's, I don't think, uh, the agents I've talked to this summer, uh, they have all informed me. Their guys are working out, they're getting ready. There's a different feel and a vibe under talking. There's no question in my mind. There's no question. He's a teacher. You learn just, we as media, I learn a lot just listening to his practices and and his post game. He's a fun guy to listen to, talk hockey. And I, I think when he hammered that message, be in shape or else. I Okay, look, you know when Russell Wilson started tweeting those videos in the, in the offseason, uh, him working out, I wasn't a big fan of that. You know, I was kind of like, hey, dude, everybody else is doing the same thing you are. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I love these uh, Kuzmenko videos that he puts out. And I'll tell you why. The difference between Wilson and Kuzmenko is, is, is Kuzmenko is very likable. He, he, to me, was one of the best stories this past season. You know, he really was. This guy, and you, we can all learn from Kuzmenko, even in adversity, even when he was benched, even when he was leading the team in goals, he didn't bitch or whine or complain. He just went to the end of the bench, sat there, came back. He understood that talk it was telling him. Defensively, you gotta be better. You gotta get in better shape. He's doing something about it. He's a very likable kid. He's got that energy, good vibes. Unlike Blake, he's not negative. He's a good, positive guy. And you know that's what you like to see. And I, I, just think that here's, here's something for you. If capital letters, if Kuzmenko was not in great shape, and he still ended up with 39 goals and 74 points, what the hell's he going to be when he's in shape? You know, maybe tactics telling him this is just the, this isn't the bar for you. The bar's higher if you get in shape. Negative.
0: You know what? I know Kessler mf'd me. But I also know that Miller is not talking about me when he's talking about the guys in Vancouver oh, that he hates. Hey, I hey, That could be Dollywall number hold 1 it. on the list for all I know.
2: Here's something for you guys. So, here's the quote. Where's the quote? You know, this is going to be fun because I'm going to I'm going to tell you something <laughs> right now. So, JT Miller said today, "I can't stand some of the media." So, anyway, I I hey, hold it. I texted Miller's agent. I said, "Hey, Here's the quote. Am I one of these guys? He says, no, nah, I don't think so. Boom! I'm not, one I'm not one of them. Off the hook. I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm going to guarantee you Price is one of no the guys chance. that uh, –
0: No chance. He about. doesn't know who I am. Uh, no. no chance. You're
2: the no fun zone. No. You're the fucking negative guy, Price. Miller is talking about you.
0: Well, this was fun, though. I I disagree <laughs> with you. This, this was fun. This was the fun zone. Yeah. Oh,
2: let me get, uh, let me get yeah. this in because uh, – uh, I, want, I want to get this in. Before, uh, before July 1st, and, and, you know, as the Canucks go into the free agency and everything, you know, I, I talked about Kuzmenko was one of the, the big stories last year. I think another guy, uh, another situation that was positive for Vancouver was Abbotsford. And um, the Canucks fielded a lot of calls from agents uh, before July 1st who wanted to get their players signed in Abbey. I've been hearing about this for a year. So that's a good sign because that wasn't happening when they're in Utica. Utica, I, I got horror stories of Utica, how badly it was run and how far away it was and everything. Jeremy Carlton is a good young coach. He did a great job. The Sedin twins working with the prospects, that's massive. Uh, the farm team so close to Vancouver, I think uh, uh, I heard uh, Jeff talking about C-loves and that situation worked out so good. Um, adding young players like Ratu, McDonough, Sassoni, Hiroshi, McWard. The growth of Klimovich, uh, Baines, Nielsen, and Jet Wu were, were positives. Um, the Canucks still don't have one of the best farm systems flush with top prospects. But one of the reasons they don't is because they've traded so many first and second rounders. And then, you know, that, that hurts you because all you're left at the farm is third and fourth and fifth rounders, right? And then, of course, your prospect pool doesn't look as good. But I think they're slowly turning it around. I think that the things they're doing in Abbotsford, I'm – I get a lot of good feedback from the agents about Abbotsford. I think last year, one of the big things they did right was Abbotsford. I think the Sedine twins uh, was a massive move. I think Colleton is a good young coach. I think you're building some good young kids. Um, The Nielsen kid, you know, getting an NHL contract after working so hard, uh, that was a feel-good story for me. Um, you know, that kid worked uh, really, really, really hard. You know, he didn't go in the NHL draft and, you know, he was a first round pick of the Calgary hitman. He's a BC boy, a Fort St. John native, but I, I know his dad, when I was up there, he used to pound beers with his dad. Uh, he said, hey, what do you laughing about? No, of, that? of course he did. Of course he did. I know. I ate. You were his nine kid. years old. Well, his <laughs> uncle was one of the best players to ever play for the uh, the, the Golden Hawks, uh, the junior team up there back in the day. It's a good hockey family. And so I was really happy when he did that. It, you know, it, everyone talks about going to the draft, how important it is. It isn't. The NHL is flooded with players that didn't go in the draft. The Western Hockey League's flooded with players who didn't go in the draft. Look, look at uh, uh, Baines. You know, uh, he's another prime example. Didn't go in the battle draft. Didn't go in the NHL draft. He gets signed by the Vancouver Canucks and he's and, and, and Baines last year. Good steps. You know, he led Red Deer in scoring. He led the Western Hockey League in scoring. Jeff, you know how, how hard that is. But then he gets to Abbotsford. you know, your bottom six, work your way up, you know, play defensively well, kill penalties. And all of a sudden, his role changes. He's not the high-scoring kid. They had some good jet Woo. You know, I didn't think that he was going to get a new contract from Vancouver, guys. He, he had a good year. So I just think, uh, I was really impressed with uh, Abbotsford this year. I'm not saying it's the best farm team in the history of the world. I'm saying they are slowly turning that around and getting to Abbotsford was a, was a massive success. Sub-poll
0: question, do you think Dollywall can last the rest of the summer without coming on to and Price? My vote is no. I bet you. we talk to you in uh, a couple of weeks' time because you're bursting at the, the seams with information, I bet.
2: The Sakaris texts me all. He drives me nuts. Five hundred texts a day. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> Eventually, you'll give in again. Thank you for doing this today. I, I appreciate hey, it.
2: Listen, uh, uh, me and Taylor are going to Vikings Seahawks Thursday. Free tickets. We wouldn't go otherwise. We're too fucking cheap. <laughs> but listen, we're going. It's going to be Dolly uh, Donny trip September fifth. and Dully back ten to twelve. Check TV. Be there.
0: Garrison Price, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group, and hashtags is the best and the worst of Twitter slash And it's all brought to you by Jason Hominick, at jason.mortgage. And it is a uh, it's it's a bit of a uh, Wild West scenario out there with mortgage rates these days, isn't it? do you do you lock in now? Do you do you dare go variable? Because they can't hike it up much more, right? Like you can Talk yourself till you're blue in the face, but really you should talk to somebody that monitors this on an hourly basis, and that's Jason Hominick. When you call him, you don't talk to a robot, you don't talk to a voice menu, you talk to Jason Hominick, and you get actual advice. Um, maybe he tells you to lock in right now, because you get that rate for 120 days, whether you choose to use it or not. But it's frozen there, and you can renew it anytime. time. Just one of the bits of advice you could get from Jason Hominick at Jason dot mortgage all right jeff you want to get us started
1: sure we talked about the eric carlson trade off the top but uh, just a little follow here this one's from penguins jesus at penguins ah, jesus. Yes, yes uh you know him yeah. of course uh sources close to penguins gm kyle dubas have confirmed that he's in the late stage negotiations to sign former penguin Yarmer yager to a one-year league minimum deal uh th- this is the one thing about this penguins trade like Okay, so you got Crosby, Malkin, and LaTang. You got their big three. They're all well into their 30s. Now you get Eric Carlson. Jeff Carter is still there. Uh, Brian Rust is in his 30s. Ricardo Raquel. Uh, The list goes on and on. Like, Yarmer Yager would fit in uh, with this group. I mean, the whole thing's in jest, obviously, but this will be interesting to try to squeeze uh, whatever they can out of this core group with essentially
0: half or more of a team. That's well, well into its 30s now. You, you might as well just lean into it, right? Go get Yager, put him on the power play, just be like, yes, we, yeah. this is Cocoon. Um, if you don't know what that <laughs> reference is, folks, you, uh, you're very young, and you should go check out the movie. Uh, at the Hazel May, this is the glove Davis Schneider. Davis Schneider, by the way, folks, uh, had himself a weekend in uh, his Major League Baseball debut. Uh, first yeah. Major League Baseball player in the modern era, I think over 100 years, right, uh, to get nine hits and two homers in his first uh, three Major League Baseball games. Um, the original tweet at the Hazel May, this is the glove Davis Schneider is using to play in his third Major League Baseball game. He found it in the Lost and Found at the place Davis coaches in the offseason. Whit Merrifield brought it to my attention to let me know Davis's nickname is Vuck, Vuk, V-U-K, no idea who that is, but it's on the glove. One can guess that that was just already on the glove when he found it in the lost and found. It's a very nice-looking Mizuno, but it has uh, seen better days for sure. Uh, it looks like something you'd find in a lost and found. and just adds to the mystique of the weekend that was for Davis Schneider. Who knows what Davis Schneider ultimately is uh, in in baseball but, man, did he have a magical weekend, and baseball's great for these sort of magical stories, yeah. uh, no matter where it goes for David Schneider. Uh, I've got a baseball
1: one as well from Katie Sharp at KT Sharp. <whistles> the Yankees left 28 men on base. In their last two (laughs) games, Blake. Oh, my God. Two games. They left 28. uh, It's the first two-game span in Yankee history with 28 runners left on base, both losses, and both of them coming in nine inning games as well. Like, somebody just lean into a pitch. Like, take one for the team. (laughs) Move some runners around somehow, some way. 28
0: runners stranded in a two-game set. Not exactly Bronx Bombers, right? Like, if there's anything the Yankees have been – and in recent history, too – um, is that they've been able to bring guys around somehow, some way? Sacrifice flies something. But oh my goodness, that's uh, <laughs> that's an atrocious stat. Uh, speaking of atrocious or awful, if you will, that awful announcing has done a uh, a big expose on the Kevin Brown stuff. Uh, this tweet um, here's the clip of Kevin Brown's pregame comments on the Orioles' recent record against the Rays ahead of a series finale on July 23rd. Sources tell Awful announcing these comments are what led to Brown's current indefinite suspension from Orioles broadcasts. Um, It's your standard fair stuff. Uh, He's the TV announcer. He's setting the game up on July 23rd and just mentions that the Orioles, uh, up until this series, had had a devil of a time, pardon the pun, um, beating the race, and that they had started to turn that around in, in, uh, this this season, they had three wins in five games going into the game that they were broadcasting. Um, that is apparently uh, too negative, uh, according to the Orioles. Uh, he even actually spun it all onto the positive and said, but now right. they're playing so great. And it became a positive stat, really, um, if you heard the whole clip. But it's like the Orioles' management only heard the front half. Um, So, a they were wrong factually, and B they were wrong, you know, whatever morally here as well. In that you have to tell the story, and the Orioles would have preferred if Kevin Brown didn't tell the story. And and Jeff, this is this is the risk that Always. people have been talking about for months and really years here. When it all goes in house, and he is an Orioles employee that gets put onto the te- onto a, a regional television network. But when when you are in-house media, things like this are a risk, and you know uh, people don't bat an eyelash sometimes at that. Oh, all the Canucks are announcing in-house media, and uh, it's not in-house media if they can't tell the story. And this is proof.
1: I had to watch the clip twice because yeah. the first time I was like, "Where's the egregious part?" He's spitting facts. Yeah, the record is what the record is. Like, and again, this is some suit in a corner office that thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and I can tell you he's not the smartest guy in any room he goes into, and freaks out because this guy, hes basically he's looking at the camera, but and it's covered with a graphics board that was created by somebody mm-hmm. in a truck somewhere, so it's not just him. I mean, this was part of their production meeting. This was the storyline that they were going to present, and again, here are the Orioles. You can't hide from your record. It was what it was, but they've got so many good things going for them right now, and then somebody in an executive suite, you know, has to go and bring this negative attack Like they, they have turned that ship around. Like it's good news through and through for the Orioles these days. And as you said, he was trying to spin it that way. That this is how it used to be, but this isn't the way it is right now. And yet still, that offended somebody uh, up high in the Oriole food chain. It's just it is ridiculous. It's just, let the guy present the facts, and that's all they were. He wasn't editorializing. There was no opinion. He was just showing that for the last bunch of years the Orioles have sucked basically mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay. But things are changing and changing for the better. And so, yeah, unbelievable
0: that this guy takes the the hit. For those that are wondering, how bad was it? Sixteen straight series defeats.
1: That in, was bad. In, in it was.
0: Tampa. Like it was notable. Like it was, it was. But your fan.
1: But your your fans probably already knew that. Yeah. Like you're
0: talking to an engaged and
1: educated fan base. Again, you, you, this isn't spinning like some sort of, you know, you're not spinning a yarn here. You're not making this stuff up. This was their record. And, but it
0: doesn't mean that it's always going to be their record. And now it's actually turned into something negative for the Orioles because exactly. broadcasts around Major League Baseball, broadcasters, crap
2: all over them. Couldn't
0: resist because they all uh, think that Kevin Brown's a shooting star and he does, he, he's, yeah. a, he's a good announcer. Um, they all can't believe that this shooting star in their field has been shot down, basically, because of, of what he said. So now they've only brought more disrepute, of which... Well, they brought the only disrepute, because Kevin Brown's uh, uh, you know announcing itself did not bring any disrepute. Now they've got actual negativity surrounding the team uh, in a season in which they may run away with the division um, in the ALE. So, um, yeah, just a, a a warning. A warning about where this is going and why fans should care. Um, you might lose some great broadcasters along the way, and you'll most certainly not get the whole story if more teams uh, abide by things like this.
1: I've got one that doesn't make a lot of sense either. This came over the weekend from 3Down Nation at 3Down Nation. This is the website that covers the CFL. does a nice job of it. The headline reads, CFL finds six BC Lions for touchdown celebration in Commonwealth Stadium fan seating. This wasn't the Winnipeg game. This is going back to their last win in Edmonton. Uh, when they scored a touchdown and a bunch of them, there was like sideline seating there and they had a little fun. They opened a bag of chips and all that. Ca- Six of them have been fined. And of course it's the CFL. So the fines are undisclosed. Mm-hmm. We will never learn. And it's probably not much financially, but it's still like the no fun police out in force here in the summer, slapping the lions on the wrist for, uh, their touchdown celebration in Edmonton.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that might be more some protection of Edmonton. <laughs> That <laughs> a lot of people are celebrating in Edmonton and it might be considered piling on at this point. So, yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe that's the warning um, that's being sent. Uh, final one for me at MLS since Leo Messi joined Inter Miami, game winning free kick versus Cruz Azul, a brace versus Atlanta, a brace versus Orlando, a brace versus Dallas. Can't start any better than that. Um, we mentioned off the top how fun the Whitecaps match was on Friday as a neutral observer watching Dallas versus Miami, what a shit show that was. Uh own <laughs> stunning own goals by both sides. And then of course Lionel Messi uh you know leading them back from two goals down to, to tie and then ultimately win in free kicks. I mean it was uh it's spectacular and it's a bit of a hot mess. It's not like world cup class soccer by any stretch of the imagination. But is it entertainment? You're darn tootin' it is no.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's captivating every time out, and like I, 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 I get his stature. I didn't know fully what to expect from Messi. Was he going to ease his way into MLS? Right. Was you know was he going to take it seriously? I know he's been paid a ton, um, but obviously you just can't hold the grades down. And for him to have had the impact that he has had, and just almost every touch of the ball becomes a social media. You know, sensation, even if people aren't watching the games in real time, you're seeing it uh, pump through all the social channels. And, again, the the uh, free kicks have been spectacular. He's had two now, late game, you know, just picking his spot and nailing it. So it's been incredible. What an absolute debut here uh, for Messi. And maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I kind of thought there might be a, a bit more of a buildup. But uh, he has been everything that uh,
0: the MLS could have hoped for. Are you out? I'm done. I'm up. That's Hashtags for today. So, Garrison Price, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group, and uh, my second Bodog line of the day, looking at the most at Jeff. that. Enormous. Where did that come from, Jeff Patterson, tennis guy? Where did that come from? <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah, the Wayback Machine, I don't know, jumped in the hot tub time machine, and uh, he can still serve. 37 aces, so clearly the biggest weapon uh, still is there, but yeah, I mean, I was like everybody taking on a top 10 guy and taking him down.
0: And now now he's the favorite against Taro Daniel. Minus (laughs) 165, one win, and all of a sudden he he can't be beaten, according to the odds makers. Bet on the Canadian, minus 165. There's your Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your trusted source. For sports odds, oh, joining us now from the province, province.com, It
3: is the one and only Patrick Johnson. How are you, PJ? Gentlemen, good morning. Feeling good. Have a good long weekend. Nice and relaxed. Spent a lot of time in the lake. It was very good. What lake were you on? Birkenhead Lake. Did you? I'm going on Friday? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you guys camped the on the far end there. Yeah, it wasn't too smoky, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, we had we've gone out there a couple of years now with some friends, and it's a good spot. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. it's Close enough, but also complicated enough that you know yes. it's great to get to. But also, people there's no Yahoos. I find it was
0: it, <laughs> it warm ish. I know it's I know it's a cold lake. The temperature
3: was, was great. Right. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. it was great. Yeah, everything was ah, spot times. on. Kids had a great time. We had a bunch of floaties and sat on the beach, and it was great. Good to hear. What?
1: Would the other campers agree that there were no yahoos? Or yeah. just- <laughs> says the yahoo? Yes. Of course, <laughs>
0: yes. Uh, yes. We're we're going to use you as our uh, post Rick uh, analyst here, right? Um, for lack of a of better. Let's let's break down what we uh, what we learned there, if you will. But let let's ask you the poll question first of all, because it, it dovetails into some of the info there. And who do you think plays more games for the Vancouver Canucks this year, Ethan Bear or Tanner Pearson? Conventional. Wisdom being, of course, uh, one is signed, one is not, so that puts <laughs> yeah. Pearson ahead. Although, yeah. you know, one is probably tradable, and and one is going to have a tough time finding a, a suitor in, in Ethan Bear. Is Tanner Pearson tradable? I mean, eventually, eventually would be tradable if he
3: got some games under his belt. Yeah, and I think that's the thing mm-hmm. to me. In a trade scenario, he needs to play. Mm-hmm. So. You have Ethan Bear. You know, I had a really nice chat with him. Was good catching up. Sharp guy. Like I'm always, you know, sort of selfishly as a media person. Hope he is back because he's got lots of things to say and is really smart and well considered and I think very self aware and you know stands out in a crowd in terms of uh, you know hockey players being able to answer questions with some depth. Um, But he's not gonna be back till December. I mean, he's kind of hoping maybe he might be a bit ahead of that, but he's being realistic. And that's almost half your season. And okay, Tanner Pearson obviously is coming over off a substantial injury, uh, but if he is indeed able to play right off the hop, as we seem to be gathering from Rick and I guess from Patrick Alvin a month ago. Uh, There is every reason to think that he will be healthy and able to play. And, you know, with the cap hit, it's hard to imagine them not putting him in the lineup uh, because exactly that. They need to get rid of him. And this is a guy that you go look at his record, I mean, other than last year, has been pretty healthy. In his career. You know. When, uh, L.A. mostly was a full-time guy. That one season where he played for L.A., Pittsburgh, and Vancouver. Still got basically full-time minutes. Um, was a regular before the pandemic started. Uh, played 51 games during the COVID season. Which was one of the top numbers on the team. And um, and then 21-22. Only 68 games. But. you know, He's a guy that's been pretty healthy. And, he, and he's got. You know. He's built like a player that you would expect to stay healthy. So. I think just. From that alone, I think it's pretty easy. Tanner Pearson's going to play more games than Ethan Bear this season.
1: I think we all want the best for Tanner Pearson, the human being. But let's be honest: how does this? Con- how much do you think it complicates things for the Vancouver Canucks if Tanner Pearson shows up on their doorstep at training camp and is yeah. good to go?
3: Well, massively. You look at the combination between him and. And uh, Tucker Pullman, who I guess, I mean, I am not surprised, but it sounds like, yeah, it will be an LTIR story. Um, that's, you know, $5.75 million that uh, you can essentially find replacements for. But uh, if Pearson is indeed able to play, that's three and a quarter. Um, and that means you're going to have to make some other decisions. You know, that, that that is potentially a block against, say, someone like Niels Hoagland or silly Bud Colson. You know, that, that, that there's guys that have to be in the lineup. Um, but it also makes you know that much more pressure on figuring out what you're going to do with Connor Garland and Brock Besser, and is there a way to change up your mixer or Tyler Myers? Ever, you know, I think a few people pointed out now Eric Carlson's no longer a San Jose Shark. You know, is maybe there a fit there? We we heard a noise before um, from Frank Serabelli, I think it was, but. Yeah, I, I, to me, if Pearson's playing, that means someone's gonna have to go. I don't know, you know, how much of an advantageous position that will leave the Canucks in. They may have to make a move for the sake of making a move. Um, but I also think it could be one of these ones that they, they'll, you know, get to the end of training camp, see where they're at, see who's hurt, see how they can structure things out. If you know, that is a skill in the modern game, which is creating a roster that's bigger than the cap. And uh, some teams do it to win championships and some teams do it just to ice a lineup on opening night, like your Vancouver Canucks.
1: I saw people connecting the dots with the Carlson move and San Jose, but honestly, I I can't figure out what San Jose is or maybe, maybe I can like. I mean, it is just a complete mishmash there. Uh, Kyle Burrows, who couldn't get into the Canucks lineup yeah. on the regular, like he's probably going to be a top-forward defenseman on the San Jose right. Sharks. So I don't know that they want Tyler Myers. Like It looks like it's going to be all systems go to get the first overall pick next year.
3: Yeah, I mean, they have two first-rounders, right? Like they have the Penguins one as well. They've got two second-rounders. I mean, that, that there's a clear focus on the draft for next year, at least where they're sitting right now. And, yeah, as you said, you've got, what's... Five forwards who are going to be UFA's next summer, two defensemen, a goalie. Like they have created a scenario where they're going to be resetting a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, they have got Hurdle and Couture on long-term deals still, but they're going to be resetting a whole bunch of stuff next summer. So yeah, I mean, to me, that is one of the things I suppose that puts Myers in that category that fits because he is off a contract next year. You need guys to play in the NHL, um, but as you said, if you're if you're trying to not win. I mean, I, I still I still think pretty highly of Tyler Myers. I don't think he's a top four defenseman. I don't think he ever was. Uh, I think on your third pairing, he's perfectly fine. Uh, but of course, he's not paid as such. Now, the that might be the one thing is at the end of the day, the Penguins are like, well, yeah, well, we can deal with it. We can handle that money. Um, we'll we'll see, I suppose. All right, not the Penguins, the Sharks. The Sharks pardon yeah. me. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's they're still they're st- The sharks themselves still have to make some cap choices as well. Like, it's not like it's not like it's just an easy slide in fit. They're gonna have to rearrange their roster a little bit as well. Um, but uh, you know, as it stands, it looks like you know you look at it. You're like, I'm pretty sure that's their roster. But you know, you can change some things around. They would have to make some changes still to get Myers on that on that roster. Do you
0: think course. Tyler Myers is is like starting now with a, with a couple of these pressure points? Do you think he's starting to wonder, like on September the sixteenth, am I just going to get traded? Like there are some pressure points in the last seventy-two hours that weren't there. In that Pearson looks like he's coming back, and and yeah. and the roster space has been made and the cap space has been made in San Jose. I mean, right. he probably doesn't feel that great coming into camp right now in terms of just like his uh, feeling settled. That is. <laughs> It's settled, yeah.
3: There's just that's a nice soccer word. Yeah, um, yeah. I yeah I could see that. I you know especially because you know there's a guy he's a parent like he's got his kids he thinks about his family. Part of the reason you know I had that fun story I wrote at the end of the year talking about how much these guys actually like living here. And that honestly, you know, I think people heard if people listened to JT Miller's segment on the on the Strick podcast. I mean, it's something JT himself talks about. He le- the players like living here. Mm-hmm. Um, there there is no doubt. It's about it It's not the, the media. That, yeah. Yes. Yeah <laughs> you know whatever right i get it but yeah no that's that's the thing you know there's a guy that they they obviously he came here trying hoping that the team was going to be progressing towards something he played on some pretty good teams in Winnipeg came here obviously thinking he could make this team better uh, when he signed four years ago we are looking at a player that in the end i think he recognizes it's a business but it's still never you never want to hear your name being bandied about and don't want to hear us talking about it you just want to know you have a job and you're just, can plan out your plan out your year uh-huh. and you not have to think about how that's going to affect everything else.
0: Uh, connects are still trying to do something though. Um, whether it's Myers, whether it's a winger, um, by all accounts, they are, they're in yeah. the market. They are
3: trolling here still, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's been obvious for, I think, you know, essentially since this regime showed up a year and a half ago, uh, this, they've been wanting to make some changes. They've made a bunch of changes. um, but I think, as we've all said, like there's just it's, it's still a roster that's, you know, it's a roster that might make get you in the playoffs. Might maybe you know you get the right opponent, you win around. You never know. But uh, you know, I, I think it's they've got a fantastic top end. But you know, you shouldn't stand still. That's certainly the lesson I think. If you're not winning, if you're not in the playoffs, why are you standing still? So uh, yeah, it would not surprise me to see them trying to do something else. They certainly, I think, behind the scenes have been talking about that. But again, like I said, at the deadline. I think I've said more than once. Felt like there was a mid trade that didn't happen, and then I think we—you know—it was a bit surprising that nothing happened at the draft. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. They've—they've they've been generally pretty conservative on things, and here they are.
1: Pat, what kind of expectations do you have on Ilya Mikheyev coming off, you know, significant surgery? But we have seen others. Medicine, modern medicine, has allowed guys to come back from reconstructive knee surgery. But speed right. is such a calling card and a, and a, uh, you know, a weapon for him. Like we've heard that he's progressing and that he's going to be ready for training camp, but do you anticipate that he's going to be up to full speed and hit the ground running? Or do we, do you expect that we, maybe we see him kind of ease his way back in because we know the NHL isn't a place to ease your way into anything.
3: Right. I mean, that, that, the speed thing was why they signed him. And, uh, you know, obviously any knee injury, any surgery, you're never 100% really. I mean, you are 100%, but you're not the 100% you were before the surgery. Right. So, you know, that is, I hate to break it to all of us, that is how aging goes. <laughs> we are not as good as we were the day before. Um, and I think to me that is the big question. Can he, I think he'll be a very fast player. I think he'll be much closer to the player that he was in Toronto than he was at the start of the season. I think... Um, our friend Cam Charon, who has now moved on. Uh, but Cam talked a little bit about this in a few of the stories he wrote, I think, last fall, especially, you know, as a guy who watched McKay up, up front, he had an interesting perspective. And he talked a lot about um, how, you know, I mean, there were a couple of stories I think he wrote last year. It was on his site for The Athletic about, you know, this was not the player that we could see in Toronto. Um, and, you know, that the there were a couple of moments I think we saw in, 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 in the season where he was able to turn it on a little bit, but yeah, there, that's a power, like your ACL is a big into sort of pushing the power of your stride. Um, and so, you know, assuming it heals all, all heals up very well, he'll be, you know, hopefully the fast, fantastic player. And, you know, that, that Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev line was pretty fantastic when they were together. And so you kind of wonder if, if, if they'll be able just to hit the ground running, if you will.
1: That's going to be interesting because obviously, they weren't together under Tockett because uh, Tockett had Mikaev for three games, and then they yeah. you know shut him down. Um, and yet, I wonder too. And and you're right. Like, I mean, anybody that played with Pederson had some success. But that I think that is a possibility for the Vancouver Canucks. But I also wonder would McKeef be better served on the wing with a guy like JT Miller, who we know has some defensive warts, and yeah. maybe McKeef could sort of provide that layer of insulation defensively for a player like Miller.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, certainly he was a guy that they added because they thought he would help the penalty kill. And then we know how that went. Um, Yes. Yeah, I sure, entirely possible. I, I it, it, he is an interesting player. He remains an interesting player that you can add to this roster um uh, assuming he's like I said, he's healthy and is able to recover. I mean Pavel Bure, we can think back 25 years. It took him an entire season to get his confidence back. I'm not I don't know whether Mikheyev finds himself in that spot. I mean, I saw him briefly um I think it was at the end of the season. Uh, when you know I was coming in the building, he was coming out the building. We talked briefly outside, and he said, yeah. I mean, that was obviously very early in his rehab, but said he was feeling really good and, uh, yeah, feeling positive. And, you know, I think generally he's been a pretty upbeat, positive guy. So you will see.
0: It's crazy to look at his games played and, th- and think that he actually played that amount last season. Yeah. He just feels like he played 11 games and was injured. Um, but yeah. that tells you about yeah. how... Uh, much scrutiny we gave to that half of the season because they were already out of it. You know, we just yeah we weren't really yeah. going through it with a fine tooth comb. Uh, PJ, thanks for this uh, pleasure as always, and uh, another week down. We're uh, we're we're chewing out uh, August here, and it'll be hockey season <laughs> before we know it. I had to sit there and
3: think about it. When do these guys show up at eight rinks again? Yeah. So we'll see. Pretty soon.
0: Yeah, pretty if, soon. If Talk
1: had his way, they're probably already there. Oh, but... boy.
3: Yeah, maybe I should go see if Rick's standing in the parking lot right now. <laughs> Thanks, TJ. Take care, guys.
0: Rounding out the show, of course, we look at our errors and omissions, and I can't think of a single thing that went wrong yesterday with that fabulous uh, holiday edition of the show. But going back to our last uh, uh, quote-unquote live show, if you will, uh, back on Friday. We were talking about the Mariners selling pieces before the deadline, but still playing really good. And I said, that's happened in hockey recently. And I was struggling to come up with a perfect example of that. But um, Hassan was pointing out that the uh, Preds continued to play well after selling off pieces last year. I think it was somebody else that was in my mind. I think the Coyotes played really well in March this year as well. Not that I can remember. Yeah, I guess they sold a couple pieces too. So uh, there are examples. The Preds were...
1: Yeah, and the Preds, they were injured.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can remember Ryan Johansson got hurt against the Canucks,
1: and then they, and Forsberg is out, and then, yeah, they peddled some players, and just shows you what a goalie can do because UC Soros essentially got them into that final week of the season against both Winnipeg and Calgary. Right. They fell short ultimately, but yeah, they uh, remain competitive on the back of uh, a terrific goaltender, and that is possible in the National Hockey League.
0: Final bowdog line of the day, Mr. Jeff Patterson. What do you have for us? Yeah, it's
1: playoff time in golf. Uh, I don't know if that fires people up still, even though it's been a thing now for the better part of 15 years, but uh, uh, they're in Memphis. Uh, The St. Jude Classic is the first of the three playoff events. Lucas Glover was a winner over the weekend at Wyndham, and this guy has rediscovered his game thanks to the long putter. Always been one of the great ball strikers out on tour, but... Uh, Had the putting yips to the point that he wasn't sure that, uh, you know, his career was going to progress, but went to the long putter and has become a machine Uh, in his last five events. Blake, he won the other day uh, at the Wyndham. He's been fourth, sixth, fifth, and first this past week. So I'm taking Lucas Glover, not to win this week at St. Jude, but a top five finish for Lucas Glover. You can get him at plus 900 Ahead of the start of the event, plunked down 20 bucks. there's $180 if Lucas Glover finishes in the top five of the first playoff event this week down
0: in Memphis. It seemed like long putters were mandatory at Wyndham. I don't know, it felt like half the players playing at Wyndham were all along. Think-
1: People are taking note of uh, what he's been up to, and uh, there's a few others. Obviously, Adam Scott's been at it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, revitalized 43-year-old Lucas Glover's career, and I can't miss. Maybe we should uh, be looking into Yeah, the Jeff, you've butter. seen
0: me putt. I, I mean, really, I, <laughs> like a uh, kitchen mallet would be uh, better than what I'm currently using, so okay. maybe that should be something i look at. Uh, there's your Bodog the day, brought to you by Bodog, your trusted source for sports odds. Folks, thanks so much. For listening today. Don't forget to check out all the fabulous local sponsors that make this show tick. Jeff, thank you, sir, for sitting in for Matt, who is back tomorrow. And uh, folks, have yourselves a great day. And don't forget to buy local.